Um, hey, uh, good morning. Say, before I get into the message, I want to let you know about something coming up in just three, I think it's three weeks, right? Um, our family reunion, our Hope family reunion is going to happen. Um, it was originally scheduled for, was it October or November? And then Jim and I pulled the rare double header of both getting COVID at the same time. So um, we rescheduled. It's coming up on February the 20th. We want you to be here. It's going to be a great Sunday. Pastor Dwayne is going to tag team preach. He and I are going to tag team together which means I'm going to try to get him to do most of the preaching. Um, and, then, um, and then we'll have a, a, a meal together, and we, uh, we're going to celebrate paying off the, the mortgage. Yes. So, all right, let's roll the recording here. Um, hey, we are in our fourth week, I think it's our final week, of, of a series of messages uh, that we're calling the Prodigal Sons, um, and we've read through the story a few times in the past three weeks, so in case you weren't with us, I just want to summarize the story, um, because it's a story that Jesus is telling, and, and what's important to notice is that the first two verses of Luke 15, it tells us who's in the audience. There's two different kinds of groups of people. Um, there are people who were seen as the, the sinners, right, the not perfect people over here. So that's y'all, I guess. Um, I just made that y'all. So uh, on this side here is the religious elite, um, the folks that were kind of seen as, you know, having it all together, um, the folks that were known as the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these kind of religious people that would actually often get upset with Jesus if we look through the Gospels. And this second group, the Pharisees and the religious folks, they were shocked that Jesus would associate with and eat meals with, which was a show of respect and, and acceptance to eat a meal with someone. Jesus was hanging out with the not perfect people. And so Jesus, to make his point, he tells a few stories. And one of the stories he tells to paint a picture for them is the story we've been looking at, the story of the lost sons. And the first part of the story, which we covered the first two weeks, the, the younger son, it really deals with the younger son, and the younger son comes to his dad, he says, hey dad, um, I want my inheritance and I don't want to wait till you're dead, I want it now, which was very disrespectful in that culture. And the big shock was that the father says, okay, and gives him that inheritance. I mean, Shocking! All of Jesus' listeners are like, what kind of story is this? What kind of father is this? Even maybe more shocking is the father then allows the son to choose to leave home, which he does. Not surprisingly, he blows the entire wad, ends up starving. There's a famine in the country that he went to. And so he decides, maybe I can come back home. Maybe if I go home, I could at least be like a hired servant in the house. So he goes back home. And if you remember this part of the story, the father is actually watching for him, sees him coming, and runs to his son. Says he hugs him, he kisses him, he welcomes his home, welcomes him home. And, and then the son starts with his dad, I'm, I'm sorry, I've blown it, I've done this, I've done that. He doesn't get to the hired servant plan because he realizes it's not about that. It's not about hired servants. My dad loves me. And so his father restores him in the family, takes their, their best uh, prize cattle and, and does a barbecue with them, throws a massive party for the whole village. That's part one. Part two is the story of the older brother, which we looked at last week, and we're going to look kind of between both stories this week. But the older brother part of the story tells us that he's out working in the fields, like he did every day, I'm sure, and he hears the party. 
as he gets close to the house. And when he finds out there's a party and what it's about, he gets ticked. He refuses to go in. The father, it says, comes out and pleads with him. He didn't have to do that. He could order him. But the father has this humble love that allows the older son as well to make his choice. He allows him to choose. That's part of love. And it says he pleads with his older son. And then the older son lashes out at his dad, essentially saying, it's not fair. That brother, your son, squandered everything, and you throw him a party? And here I am slaving away, and you don't even give me a little goat to have a little shindig with my friends? And then the last two verses of the story read this way. The father, I imagine, is brokenhearted as he said to him, Look, dear son, you and I, we're very close. Everything I have is yours. Remember, the younger son took his half. Everything I have is, is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day because your brother, your brother was dead. And he's come back to life. He was lost and he is found. And that's the story. A beautiful story. And again, reading it with the context in mind of who Jesus is telling the story to is so powerful. And the fact that on purpose he told this story in front of a group of, you know, not perfect sinners is the word used there, and then the religious folks on the other side of the room. Um, who, 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 you know, who did the younger son represent? Which one? Which group? Yeah, the, the sinner, the, the imperfect people. And, and, and who was the older brother? He, he represented who? Yeah, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. So, so, I mean, they're hearing this story in very different ways. Part of it's making some of them cringe, and the others are rejoicing. Jesus is calling them out. And what I've been thinking about the past few weeks is this. When, today, when younger sons and daughters come home, when they come home, Will they find a church of older brother Pharisee types? Or will they find a church that displays the heart of the Father God by celebrating and throwing a party? Now, when I ask that question, like, what kind of church do we want to be? I do know what's true of us is that we are a church with a heart for lost sons and lost daughters and wandering people. And, and for many, many years, hope has been that kind of place. Uh, um, Pastor Duane and Sherry installed that in our DNA many years ago. Hope is a grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus. And the good news is, because for all of us, um, like, the other, like the younger son in, in one way or another, um, we have to be able to know that we relate to that younger son side. And we want to remember that we needed amazing grace, that amazing grace, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, we have to remember that same amazing grace that the younger son needed. It's, it's the same grace that we still need today. It saved us, changed our life, points us in a different direction than we would otherwise be going if not for Jesus. That grace is still real for us today, no matter how long we've been following Jesus. And so we can't take it for granted that we're going to be the kind of church that welcomes people home. We have to pay attention to this. We have to. Because if we lose track of our gratitude for the grace of God, it's really easy to slip into that older brother place. John Ortberg says that every prodigal that comes home, and that's all of us, but for every prodigal that comes home, 
one of two things will happen to you. Either you will become like the father or you'll become like the older brother. And I would add the word eventually. Because <laughs> it doesn't happen right away. It can be very, very subtle. Nobody intends to act like the older brother. I'm sure the Pharisees, if the ones that realized what they were doing and the lights came on, they were like, oh no, what have I done? I had no idea. But it can happen without us realizing this. So I, I want to compare, I had like eight different ways, not enough time for that, just a couple different ways um, between what the father heart of God looks like and how we operate from that versus how the older brother religious types operate. And I just want to highlight some things for us to pay attention to so that we don't inadvertently play the Pharisee. And the first one is this. It comes out of those first two verses of the, that set up this whole story. Verse 1 and 2 tells us why the story was even told. Jesus uh, was hanging around the younger brother types. And that made the Pharisees, the older brothers, it made them really mad. You know, the father's goodness, though, was attracting lost people. And Jesus was welcoming, accepting them, spending time with them. See, displaying the father's heart causes people to be drawn to Jesus. The Pharisees are like, well, how come everybody's flocking to him and not to us? We're the religious ones with all the answers. See, the problem for the Pharisees is that they, they actually prided themselves with, with not being around messy, imperfect people. They actually thought that it gave proof that they too were very holy. So I just even look at those two postures. Which, which one sounds more like us? The, the father heart that loves people where they're at? Or, or, or the older brother who wants to make sure everybody knows how holy we are so we're going to keep our distance and that's the whole point of this story that Jesus tells, right? The, the story of the prodigal is how Jesus says, not only do people that have my father's heart hang around people who are messy, but when someone who's messy or was lost comes home to the father, we don't just hang around them. You're mad because I'm hanging around and having meals with them. Here, here's how, we're going we're gonna to ramp it up. They have a party when that person comes home. It's a party when that person comes home. Which is what happens, right? That's what we know of in the story when the younger son did come back home. His father then restores him, ring for his feet to say that he has authority, sandals, uh, ring for his finger saying he has authority, sandals for his feet because he's a, a free man, not a slave, and a, a robe to dress him so everybody knew that he was not a servant, he was a son. And then he says... And get the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine is dead, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. That's what the father's heart does. When someone comes home, there's a celebration. A celebration. The dad throws a huge, huge party. <clears throat> and apparently... From the next verse, we find out where the older brother enters the scene. We find out that the music is apparently so loud that when his brother, older brother shows up, he's not even to the house yet, he can hear it even before he gets into the house. Like, that's a party, right? The DJ is cranking. People are dancing. Um, has anybody ever been to a, just a killer wedding reception before, just a great, I don't mean like a Baptist or Assembly of God one where people are drinking red punch out of a styrofoam cup. I, I mean, a knock down, drag out event with loud music and dancing. Anybody ever been to 
a couple of us, a bunch of older brothers. Um, you know, probably, you know, maybe what happened is, you know, the DJ had just bumped Usher, just, you know, the yeah song, and then everybody's up, right? Everybody's up on the dance floor. Um, some of you know the song I just mentioned. Some of you don't. So turn to the person next to you. What is the song? What's the song that you know of that gets everybody to the dance floor? Just go ahead and just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. Just what's the song? Like, oh, yeah, everybody's on. Go shorty, it's your birthday. Yeah, I won't say any 50 cent. All the way. All the single ladies. Oh yeah, okay, so let's get a few here. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. That works at the, you know what? My, my sweet wife had to be pulled off the dance floor when on, at our wedding reception when that song came on because she was no longer a single lady, so. <laughs> Anybody else, what are some other ones? Just get everybody dancing. YMCA, yeah, it's fun to stay at the YMCA. I should have practiced that. That's good. That's good. Um, anybody uh, cool in the gang? Prompt any? Celebrate good times. Come on, yes. There's a party going on right here. What was this one? The chicken dance. I won't even try, but that works. We're on Facebook, and it might be forever, you know, online, so I won't even try that. Um, you know, Cool in the Gang actually is very underrated. Anybody know um, the hit song, Get Down on It? You know this one, right? And they're also very profound because they ask such a good question. How, how are you going to dance if your back's up against the wall? Get your back up off the wall. Which is a profound question because how are you going to dance if your back is against the wall, right? So, okay, just me, just me. <laughs> Where were we? Okay, okay, here we are. The, 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 the older brother, right? He hears the music. He hears there's dancing, there's a party going on. Now, if everything was right in the heart of this older brother, he would enter into this party that the father is throwing because it's his dad and he trusts his dad. No matter what reason, my dad's throwing a party, he's happy, I'm in. But he's suspicious from the beginning. Verse 26, he asks the servant, what's up? And the servant tells him, hey, your brother came home, your father killed our best calf because he's back and we're having a party and so the older brother's response is he became angry and refused to go in now remember in this story the people listening jesus is calling out the pharisees and the religious leaders and he's saying hey guys those people that you look down on as sinners they're they're coming home to the Father. You see it right here. They're coming home, and they're your brothers and sisters. This is beautiful. But your response is to sulk and be mad? See, the Father throws a party. He didn't even get all the story. He throws a party. And the Pharisees, they're offended by sin. Apparently, they're more offended by sin than God is. Which makes me wonder, again, what, what kind of church will we be? What kind of son or daughter are we? Are we ones that demonstrate consistently the heart of the Father? Or do we find ourselves drifting into that older brother Pharisee zone sometimes? 
Let me ask a hard question that I don't have on t- time to unpack, which is always fair for small groups this week. You know, you'll get to unpack this, I guess. Um, how, does, how does other people's sin make you feel? Like when you watch somebody do something that you deem as wrong or that you believe God deems as wrong, do you see that and feel disgust? Do you feel disgust like, how, how dare you? Do you feel that or do you feel compassion? See, the heart of the father, right, sees his younger son coming home. His heart is filled with what? Compassion. <laughs> he runs. He didn't even get the story. He didn't even get the apology yet. His father ran to him even though he had not yet said a word. And so I wonder, even when people are in a mess, even when they are broken, even when they're making horrible decisions, do we feel compassion for them? Because that sounds a lot like the father. Or, or does envy, disgust, and judgmentalism seep from our pores? See, that's more like the older brother, isn't it? Will we have the heart of the father or the posture of the older brother? In fact, let me take it a step further here. When someone does actually come home, confess, turn around, even if it was because they hit rock bottom, what's our response then? Wow, you finally learned your lesson. Or, or, what if we celebrate? What if we're like, okay, somebody just came home, let's get the party started. See, church, instead of judging or excluding ourselves from people whose choices we may not agree with, whose politics we may not agree with, whose belief systems we may not agree with, can we just throw a party and celebrate and embrace people because they knew they needed Jesus and they're heading back home? I want to highlight one more difference between displaying the heart of the father versus that posture of the older brother, one that's just very tempting for us. Look at how the father came out to the older brother in verse 28. It says, the older brother's being a, I got to find the right word, not good guy. <laughs> and he's pouting, right? He's pouting on the porch. Verse 28 says, so his father came out and pleaded with him. He pleaded Remember, we said last week he could have demanded he's the dad. Get in the house right now because I said so. But notice, he gives the older brother a chance to choose. He can choose to love, enter into love, join the party. He can choose to just do this for love. Older older brother, my son, just do it for love. Again, it's the same thing that the father did for the younger son earlier in the story when the younger son at the beginning asks for his inheritance. The father says, okay, he allows him to have the inheritance. He gives him the choice to actually leave. He allows him to leave even though he knows he's going to make a mess. He gives him the choice. What strikes me is that Jesus is saying about the father that out of love... The Father allows us to choose. And while he wants us to choose him and choose love, he doesn't threaten, cajole, shame, pressure, or make demands. The Father's heart is invitational. It is love-driven. As if he's saying, sons, 
Both sons, younger and older, this is, this is all about love and relationship. This is not about duty or obligation or pressure. This is all about love. That's what the father's like, which is in stark contrast to the posture of the religious folks. They wanted everybody to obey the rules, to do their duty and toe the line, a line that, by the way, they drew for everyone else. And in verse 29, we see the older brother is being pleaded with by the father. And then the older brother, his response, no, he's not going to enter in love. He's not going to. He, he, he launches into his speech, which is essentially, I'm the good son. I did the right thing. I slaved away. I obeyed. I did what I should do. I did my duty. You owe me, dad. Whew. Which again, very much like how the Pharisees, Religious people today, same thought, same deal. And sometimes it's how we treat each other in the family, right? Let me ask it this way. When you or I, when we use pressure, shame, demands, obligation, and duty to try to get people to do stuff, does that sound more like the father or the older brother? And again, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? What culture will we as a church choose? What's our motivation to follow Jesus or to serve? Do we invite people into it and for them to do it for love or out of duty and obligation? Do we invite people into the goodness of God or are we using shame and pressure like the Pharisees did? It's so subtle. I thought this week of a, um, a story where I kind of got nailed as an older brother here. Um, this was probably nearly 20 years ago. Benny or Troy, you guys, one of you guys might have been in the room for this. Um, uh, Dallas Demet, who was the wise, wise sage in a group of a bunch of young 20 and 30-something knuckleheads, of which I was one, um, he was with us. And I kept, I guess I must have been using the word should as a reason for doing something, um, you know, well, we should do this, and Christians should blah, 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 right? Um, and Dallas gave me this very wry smile, and I'll never forget this. He said, wow, that's a big pile of should, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, what did he say? Right? Yeah, there's a lot of should in the room right now. Um, and unlike some of you, we all started laughing, so... <laughs> um, Pretty soon, one of us, I might be the one that said, wow, yeah, uh, man, you better be careful not to step in that should because you'll track a lot of should around the room and things will start smelling pretty shoody. So, um, <laughs> but Dallas, wise sage, he got our attention and he got us thinking. See, when I use the word should as a motivator, it's a pressure word. It is. It's a shame word. Should is loaded with expectation. It puffs up the user, in this case it was me, with this sense of, I know what's best. And it runs the risk of drowning the other person with a sense of, you are a bad person if you don't do what I think you should do. And again, this is such an easy one for us to use track of. And sometimes the use of the word is appropriate. It's in scripture for crying out loud, but just being attentive to this is so important, especially for those of us who maybe have been Christians for a long time, 
Maybe we, especially if we've been following Jesus for a while, maybe we need to reconsider our use of the word should as a motivator. Let me ask it this way. Do we do, as followers of Jesus, or gosh, gosh, in any place in your life, right? Do we do what we do because we should? Or do we do it for love? Do we do it for love? Because the Pharisees, this older brother in the story, he was doing what he should do. But self-righteous people motivate out of should because they don't know any other way. And if you live under that in your own life where you're shooting on yourself all the time, the truth is you're very likely to put that on others. And yeah, yeah, you might attract some strivers that are going to try to go with you this for a while. For a while. But when, when they get worn out, guess what? They disappear. And you wonder where they go. Well, they do where they weren't serious enough. See, religious types have always motivated out of shame, out of guilt, out of pressure, as if, well, if we don't use pressure, then man, then nothing will get done. Eh, maybe, maybe. I, here, here's kind of where I'm operating from. What, what if instead of should and shame and pressure, what if we trust our Father God? What if we trust his heart? Um, what if we believe that we too can do what we do and do it for love, not out of should? Like, we still serve. We still take responsibility for our family. We still take responsibility for our church family. But instead of doing it for shame and pressure, we do it for love. See, the Father invites us to relationship with him. And we go, oh, yes. And out of love, we enter into a life of following him, of doing it for love, even when we don't feel like it. And that's still not pressure and shame. That's still not should. That's very different, that religious posture. Instead of going, even when I don't feel it, you know, I know this is about love, and I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his way. I want to accept his invitation. And so when we give and love and we serve, we do it out of grateful hearts. We do it for love. We do it for love, not to impress not to earn, not to get the stuff. No, we still serve. But not because we feel guilty, we do it for love. We give, not because we have to, but we give for love. And I know that because I can trend that way, older brother, older sister types are prone to say, well, if we do it that way, then nothing's going to get done. Okay, maybe. Maybe, maybe so. I mean, just in a practical sense, you know, maybe we'd have to cut back as a church since we aren't going to guilt people into giving. And truth be told, we're far short of what we need. So we could try to use guilt or maybe, as God knows, cheerful, grateful givers will overflow with generosity as love becomes the motive, as we do it, as we give for love. So we give out of love, and we serve out of love. Listen, we don't have enough kids' help. Um, there's a lot of people doing more than their rotation, and we need five or six more monthly volunteers one time a month. And these are our kids. These are our kids. Like, they're part of our church family, and whether you have an empty nest or not, these are, these are our kids that God's entrusted us with, and we could try to guilt you into helping in this area or any other area. But what if instead... Out of love, 
five or six more hearts overflowed and said, yeah, you know what, this is my church family. And maybe kids kind of wear me out, but, but I want to serve. I want to do it for love, not, not a shame or should or pressure. I, I want to do it for love. Like, are we going to hear at Hope, are we going to guilt people into serving? No, no. Um, we ask, we invite, and we trust that people will respond, not, of, not out of guilt or pressure, but out of love. And I'm convinced that the kingdom of God runs on love. That reflects the heart of the Father. The Father does it for love. Jesus does it for love, and you and I, we do it for love. So, Hope family, let's, let's trust in the love and the grace and the goodness of the Father and watch what he did and do like he did and be invitational in our posture. Let's do it for love. And when we catch ourselves going down the road of, of should or pressure, let's stop. Whether it's in our own life or with each other, let's stop if we're going down that road and let's come back home to the Father. Let's look at the end of Jesus' story that he's telling in front of these two groups. Where we leave off here is where the older brother, right, he had vented all his self-righteous indignation on the father because it's way easier to sit on the front porch and judge, isn't it? When we judge others, we project the worst onto them. That's the heart of the older brother, and I know about that heart. That's what he does in his just lashing out speech. I know that I can get stuck in that. But then the father talks to his older brother with tenderness Humble love, just like he talked to the younger son. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you and I are very close and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost and he is found. And again, remember, the the younger brother took his share, right? So everything that's left, the father says, you wanted a goat? Son, it's all yours. Every calf, every goat, every board, every nail, it's all yours now. See, the older brother had not experienced the heart of the father, even though he stayed right at home. He was lost, and he never left the house. He was lost. That's why it's the prodigal sons. (laughs) Older brother, you don't have to live slaving away. You're a son. You know, it's like the kid knows the game. He knows the rules, but he's missing the point because he didn't know the heart of the father. He didn't know his father's heart. And the father says to his son what the father says to us, I believe, right now. It has always and only been my love. What, What I'm offering you and have been offering you all this time is me. And if if living at home with me is not enough, then all the parties and properties and coats in the world will not be enough. And every time somebody else is celebrated or there's a party, it's going to stick in your craw. It's going to choke your heart. I mean, when the father answers this older son, he is so gracious with him, right? But at the same time, he's firm. He's not going to apologize. He's not going to stop the party. And by the way, that's what the older brother, the older son, that's what he's after. That's what the Pharisees are after, right? He wants the father to feel really bad about what he's doing and call the party off and punish the younger son, but the father will not do that. 
And the Pharisees wanted Jesus to, to stop hanging with sinners and start condemning them for being so messed up, but Jesus will not do it. And today, the heart of God longs for a church where prodigal sons and prodigal daughters can come just as we are. A place where messed up, not perfect people belong. A grace-based family where anyone can come and find and follow Jesus. See, God longs for a church where the people who are already inside of the church embrace others, especially so-called outsiders, right away. Not standing back, crossing their arms, saying, well, let's see if they stick around and straighten up first. No, 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 no. There's a party going on. There's a party going on. And friends, that is the kind of church we are. And we've been that way here for a long time, and it is so beautiful. But again, it's so easy to find ourselves drifting back and forth from the heart of the father, and then this posture of the older brother with some things. And that's why I just want to make sure we check in on this. Like, think about how are we treating people? I mean, heck, how are we treating ourselves? Because if we can't be gracious toward ourselves, we sure are not able to have grace for anyone else. If you use shame on you, you're going to use shame on them. See, in their arrogance, the Pharisees in this story, they were angry about these people who were turning back to God. They, could, they couldn't see how crazy it was. So the father reminds them through this story of Jesus, these messy people that are coming home, they are your, your brothers and sisters. I am not going to stop the party because the lost are now found. The dead are now alive. Can't you, can't you see that? It's maddening. And at the end of the story here, the father has to be thinking for so long, I lived in sorrow over my lost younger son for so long. Every day, I was looking at the horizon to see if he had returned. Now I have him back. But now that I have him back, must I lose the heart of my other son? And then there's silence. Just picture this. There's silence from the father, the older brother. I imagine the father looks into the eyes of his older son. And what does he see? What does he see when he looks in his eyes? Confusion, hurt, sorrow, anger? We don't know. And again, picture Jesus' listeners, this whole crowd of people, the, the not perfect sinners and the religious Pharisees, all the drama, all the tension of this moment. Some of them are filled with joy because as they've heard this story, they think, that was me, that was me. I was, I was, the younger son, I was lost, and now I'm back home. And, and Jesus says, my coming home is cause for the God of the universe to celebrate by throwing a party. <sighs> but some of Jesus' listeners were burning with anger because they knew exactly who he was talking about when he talked about the older brother. There's a party going on. <laughs> now, again, picture all that tension. They're all standing there, holding their breath. What's Jesus going to say next? What's the older brother going to do? How will it end? And then Jesus stops right at the climax of the story, and he walks away. <laughs> what? Like, if you flip the page, where's the rest of the story? It's Luke 16. It's a whole new chapter, a whole new setting. He's around a whole different crowd, different audience, he never finishes the story. What? Why? 
Why doesn't he finish it? Well, it's not because he couldn't think of a good ending. Jesus is the most brilliant storyteller and teacher who ever lived. No, I think Jesus lets it hang because it's a choose-your-own-adventure ending. Remember those books? Anyone? Choose-your-own-adventure ending. The ending had yet to be written. All those listening to Jesus would have to decide on the ending. And now, we will have to decide. The story I see here could end one of two ways in our lives. One is that the older brother turns away from his father. He returns to the field. He works in coldness and bitterness of heart. He never goes back into that house again. He, he, he did the work. He maybe followed the rules. He did what he should do. But he grew to hate his brother and maybe even secretly despise or hate his father. And when he died, he died with a heart that was all alone. The story could end that way. Or, or, it could end like this. It could be that the older brother, after seeing the love of his father, falls to his knees and his hard heart is broken and made tender. And he goes and enters into the house. He sees this emaciated body and the tear-stained face of his brother. And he remembered how they had grown up together and played and fought and worked and loved each other. And this brother, he realizes that he thought was gone forever. Now he's back and they'll never be apart the rest of their whole life long. His his heart explodes with love. He throws his arms around his brother and he will not let him go. He joins in the celebration. He laughs louder and sings more and dances crazier and cries harder than anybody in the house. The two sons are reconciled to their father and the celebration goes on to this day because there's a party going on. So how does the story end? It's up to you. It's up to you. As I was praying over this message a couple days ago, um, I sensed Jesus ask me, Doug, what do you want out of this sermon? And I was like, well, I want to emphasize the kind of church family that we are. He's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, Jesus. <laughs> What do, you, what do you want? What do you want out of this message? And I sensed him saying, Doug, I want to see people set free. Yeah. yeah. See, friends, Jesus wants us to live in freedom to live in the love of the Father. There's a party going on where we can let go of having to live from shame or duty or obligation or pressure or shoulds. We can let all of that stuff go and start living in the love of our Father. And because more of, when more of us are living out of freedom, then, then that gets reflected even more as in us as a church family. Like, as individuals, we start doing it, and together you see it even more and more, but it starts with each one of us first, doesn't it? So here's the question and the invitation. How do you need to be set free? How do you need to be set free? You find yourself living with a lot of shoulds. Are you living out of pressure, obligation, duty, grinding it out like a hired servant? Do you notice that there's a tendency in you to judge others rather than finding compassion and grace? 
Has it been a long time since you remembered the amazing grace that rescued you, changed your life, and put you on a new path? Whether it's this or other older brother type stuff that we are all just prone to drifting towards. Ask the Father to set you free. Just ask him to set you free. See, whether we're more like younger sons in this moment or older sons in this moment, either way, we all have to come home to the heart of the Father. And just like he did for the younger son, the Father wants to do for you and me the same thing. He wants to run to you. He wants to run to you. Just just turn to him. Just ask. Just take that step toward joy and freedom is available to you to start living in a little more freedom each day. If you want to be free, just pray and ask him to set you free. And so let's pray, Father. Father, would you return me to your love, living from your grace, your kindness and compassion, that I might experience it for me and then be able to give it away to everyone around me. Love of God, mercy, and grace of Jesus, come into this sacred moment. Holy Spirit, manifest your presence. That there is no condemnation for us. Especially when we've seen we've blown it, there's no condemnation. It's just another invitation to step back into joy and freedom. When we see we've been ungrateful, not to feel shame, but to step instead, step back into gratitude for your love and grace, that we would step into your freedom. We want to set aside pressure and shame, and more of the time, we want to live out of your love for us. We want to come home to you, Father. Amen.